Let us pray. O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. A reading from the book of Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants, to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Acts. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this kept, she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. 
And he took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may know, believe, that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Almighty God whose only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into heaven. May our hearts and minds also there ascend, and with him continually dwell, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And you can be seated. That prayer uh, I just prayed is the collect, and I should explain a collect is the name for the the prayers um, that you find in our our liturgy and in our our prayer book that kind of have a certain style to them. That is the collect for Ascension Day, which was this Thursday, Um, 40 days after Easter, we remember that Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father where he reigns and rules. Um, Today then is Ascension Sunday, the first Sunday after Ascension, where we also remember the Ascension because Thursdays is just a hard day to gather people together. So um, so we have Ascension um, Sunday, and if you were listening to that prayer, I just prayed and then also took note of the prayer that was prayed before our readings. Um, You probably saw some similarities there. An acknowledgement that Jesus has ascended into heaven, that he reigns over all things, um, and a desire that we would be lifted up uh, to him, that our thoughts and our hearts would be set on the risen Christ. It's basically a prayer that we would live in light of his authority, in light of his reign, that we would live under his kingship. Perhaps you noticed our Old Testament reading was about the Israelites asking for a king and then basically repenting of that. That they were sometimes more interested than a human king than they were in living under God's reign over them. And so we too can ask the question, what does it mean to live as those who are under the authority of Jesus who reigns over all things? And what does it mean that we have been given authority? That we as those who are under authority also have authority in Jesus. I want to think about that today and I want to just acknowledge up front 
that this can be a hard thing to believe, and it can be a hard thing to live into. First and foremost, to live under the authority of Jesus is to live in the reality that he reigns over all, that he is the king, right? And we believe that, but at times we struggle with that, right? When we see such evil in our world, when we see such suffering, we look around and we say, how can I believe that Jesus is king over all when suffering like this takes place in our world? I'm sure many of us are feeling that, right? We've had the, the terrible shooting in Buffalo, motivated by racism, right? And a grocery store followed not long, but the awful shooting in Texas. Many children lost their life, 19 children and two teachers. I'm sure our minds are reeling and maybe we even feel like, how can I worship? How can I acknowledge Jesus as king when there is such suffering, when there is such evil in the world? This is where it's so good to have the testimony that we've been looking at from the book of Acts, seeing how the first Christians went out and accepted Jesus as, as king and shared that truth with others. And they did so in the face of great evil. Right? The, the scriptures do, do not deny the reality of evil. They do not deny the reality of suffering. And a matter of fact, what we see often, as we see in this passage today, is that as Jesus' disciples, as his first followers stepped out in faith, they often experienced greater suffering and they're stepping out in faith. They often experienced incredible resistance to the message of Jesus. And yet they continue to believe, yes, Jesus is king. He reigns over all, even as we see the suffering um, and the evil of this world. So again, I, I want to look at this passage today. I really want to look at it as a testimony. As we've been saying, we've been doing a series in the book of Acts. It's coming to an end this week, although we'll probably be in Acts next week with Pentecost. Uh, but we're coming to the end of this Easter season that we've been in. And as you maybe have heard me say before, if you've been with us, as we look at the book of Acts, I want to um, emphasize right, that we can see God's work among his people. And sometimes when we read the book of Acts, our temptation may be, those people are so awesome, right? And the incredible things that they did, I can never be like them but rather to say, what do I learn from them? How do I grow in following the Lord um, as I learn from them and as I, I hear their testimony? And we see faults and problems um, uh, uh, in the book of Acts as well. Right? This is the second missionary journey of Paul, this moment that's recorded here. You'll note that he's with Silas and not with Barnabas. And if we say, where's Barnabas? Well, it's actually because Paul and Barnabas had a division amongst themselves. They had a sharp disagreement, as the scriptures say, and went separate ways. So unfortunately, division is not new to the church, even as we deal with it today. It was happening even there. And yet God was working in the midst, even in the midst of the issues and the problems that they faced. So what does it look like to live out our authority, the authority of Jesus that we've been given? Well, if you look at this passage again, <clears throat> the testimonial aspect of it is very clear in this passage because it actually begins in the first person, as we were going to the place of prayer. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the book of Acts through Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, and we realize at this point, Luke was on part of the second missionary journey of Paul because he starts to put the we language in there. He doesn't actually talk about when he first met Paul, but suddenly it's we. And so Luke is with Paul and Silas. Timothy is probably with Paul and Silas at this point. He comes up um, numerous times in the scripture. He says, we're going to the place of prayer. This is probably together with Lydia. Um, earlier um, in this passage in Acts 16, we've heard about how uh, Lydia, a, a leader um, amongst um, people and a, a, a God-fearer amongst people in Philippi, has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now there's a group that's meeting together for prayer. They're going to that place of prayer, and they're met by a slave girl who has a spirit of divination. Um, the literal word, actually, that you, Luke uses there is a python spirit. 
Um, it was a, a myth of that time that there was a giant python that guarded the temple of Apollo. Um, and so spirits that were spirits of divination were named after this python and were called python spirits, right? So we could say this is an evil spirit. And yet this demonic spirit actually through this slave girl who was possessed by this demonic spirit actually speaks out the truth. These men are servants of the Most High God and proclaim to you the way of salvation. We read this and we're like, how can an evil spirit speak out the truth? Well, we actually see the same dynamic in the Gospels. We see times where Jesus encounters someone who is demonized and they begin to cry out, you are the son of the Most High God, right? And so actually demons in the presence of God and the presence of his servants can't help but speak out the truth at times. And that's what's happening here. Now, again, we can ask the question, okay, so if the servant girl is speaking out the truth, which she is, right, they are servants of the Most High God. See the emphasis? They are under the authority of Jesus, of the Most High God. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. Well, why then does Paul become annoyed and, um, and cast the spirit out? Well, one possibility is actually with this young girl, um, you know, crying this out under the power of the spirit, um, that actually, even though what she was saying was true, or what the Spirit was saying was true, um, that it was actually became a distraction. That people perhaps were more focused on um, this demonic spirit than they were on the message of salvation that Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy were sharing. So that's a possibility, right? That it actually became a distraction, which would be a demonic um, act, right? To distract people actually from the message of salvation. Right? But it's also possible, actually, that that word that says greatly annoyed can also be translated troubled. And it may be that what happened is Paul became so troubled seeing this girl under demonic influence that he couldn't stand to see her suffering anymore. And he cast out that spirit from her to set her free, that she may know, right, freedom from the oppression. Now, if that's the case, right, then we could fairly ask the question, well, why do you wait for so long? It said that many days she followed them around and, and cried out. Why didn't he cast the spirit out of her as soon as he encountered this evil spirit? And to that, I say... I don't know. It doesn't tell us uh, why. I'm not sure. What I do know and what is clear is that Paul's a servant of the Most High God. And perhaps, right, he did not feel the permission, the, the um, uh, you know, movement of the Spirit to move in this way until that moment. Perhaps, right, he was annoyed for a long time and finally felt like the Lord was saying now, right? Right now is the time for that prayer. Again, he is one who submitted under the authority of God. And perhaps, actually, Paul understood, right, and knew whenever this happens, when this girl is set free from the Spirit, there will be reverberations, right? There will be a cost to pay. Again, if you've been with us in this series, we know as Paul steps out in faith and as he proclaims, as people are healed, and as people are set free, what happens? Resistance. What happens is powers come against him and against his fellow servants of Christ. And perhaps he knew and had the sense when the time comes to set this girl free, there will be implications, right, that we will have to deal with. Whatever the case, he does set her free. And notice his wording in doing it. I command you, not in my name, because I have authority, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He stands, he acts in the authority that is given him in Jesus. He is a servant under the king who reigns over all things. And he acts, and again, there's reverberations. <laughs> there is things that come out of this, as we see again and again. And so we can note, again, we too can act in the power of Christ. Right? When we pray in the name of Jesus, right, we are saying, I'm praying under the authority of Jesus. 
So this is not just for them. This is for us to act in that authority. But we can also say when we act in the authority that Jesus has given us, that we have under Jesus, that doesn't mean that we won't experience attack or resistance from other authorities. That doesn't mean that Jesus is not the ultimate authority. It doesn't mean that he's not king over all things. But again, as we live into that, we may actually experience other authorities coming against us, and it may actually seem like we're being defeated by those other authorities. It may seem like, Lord, I stepped out in faith, and actually I am receiving resistance, and that resistance seems a lot stronger than your power at work within me. That seems to be what happens, right? I mean, Paul, again, has had this incredible moment of faith, right? Um, And again, acting in the authority he's been given in Jesus. But what happens? The owners see that their hope of gain was gone, and they have him arrested and Silas arrested, right? And so there's a, a, a financial authority a financial power, a marketplace power that comes against Paul and Silas, right? This girl was the source of great um, wealth, and now she no longer is. And believe me, right? You got to pay for that, right? You're costing somebody some money. You're going to have to answer for that. And so again, they bump up against the, the, the power of the pocketbook, right? And there's no surprise in that the crowds join in and attacking them, right? They're probably thinking, oh man, our finances could be threatened. These two guys are dangerous, right? If they're, if they're costing someone money, they're a problem. Right? That's a huge power, right? Then it's a huge power now, right? Financial realities. Right? But what else? What other powers are at work here? What do they say as they try to stir up the crowds, they try to stir up the marketplace, the, the magistrates against them? These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. You see that? They have financial influence, right? But they're also using their influence to point out these are outsiders, right? They're suspicious, right? They have come teaching things that are opposed to our Roman practices, right? They're using prejudice here, right? They're using a desire to protect um, uh, the culture of that place in order to attack, right? I mean, there's an irony here because actually previously in the book of Acts, we've seen that often Paul is attacked by fellow Jews, by those who are concerned about the message of Jesus that he's, he's sending out, right? We saw that last week in the passage we looked at from his first missionary journey, right? That he came under attack after the influence of Jewish leaders against him. But now he's being attacked because he's Jewish. And because um, uh, Silas is as well, right? They're receiving the attack. It's interesting. Luke isn't arrested. Luke's a Gentile. He's not Jewish, right? They don't attack. They don't arrest and beat Luke. They're picking on them. So again, there's a power. There's an authority of prejudice used against them. Right? And then there's political power. Right? They're able to sway, or at least convince, or maybe they didn't have to convince. Maybe the magistrates are already ready to have Paul and Silas beaten and put in prison. But the fact is, that's what happens. The political powers move against right, um, the um, servants of Jesus. Right? And it's, it's frustrating to see that. Right? It's interesting, actually, if you continue to read um, this passage after where our reading ends... Um, we learn that Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens, which was kind of an unusual thing. It was like a thing of great privilege to be a Roman citizen. And being a Roman citizen actually meant that you should not have been treated this way. I mean, we can say no one should be treated this way. It's wrong that they were treated this way at all. But actually, again, legally at that time, they were protected um, from being thrown into prison and beaten without a trial. As Roman citizens, this never should have happened to them. So again, we see how great are the powers against them actually, that they suffer in this way. And perhaps they were yelling out, we're Roman citizens, and no one was listening to them, right? All they could see is these were two Jews that were making problems that needed to be stopped. And so it can seem like a defeat. And we can read this, and we can say, these are servants of the Most High God, and yet they're in prison, right? Their ministry 
has seemed to come to an end now. They've been stopped by the other powers and the other authorities. And we get to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Perhaps, right, we read that and we think, how, how, how can that be, right? They were just beaten, right? They were put in prison after a miracle, after serving God, and yet there they are in a prison, which had to be a terribly dark place. I mean, you shudder to think what that prison was like. And they are praying and singing hymns to God. As I tried to imagine, how did they get to that place? I, I tried to just imagine, what would it have been like? And I imagine Paul and Silas there, and at first they're just praying out to God, right? Prayers that probably any of us would pray in that situation. Help us, God. God, have mercy on us, right? Heal this pain that we're feeling after being beaten. Set us free from this prison, right? Calls of just help us, God. And I imagine Paul, right, who knew the scriptures so well. I imagine him thinking of different psalms that he could pray out to the Lord. And perhaps as he was thinking of different psalms, um, Psalm 56 came to mind. Psalm 56 begins like this, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Many attack me proudly. That's exactly what's happening, right? I mean, what an appropriate thing for Paul to pray. This is what's happening, Lord. I, I read it in your scriptures and I'm experiencing it. I'm being trampled on. I'm being attacked even though I'm your servant. But yet, verse 2 in Psalm 56 says this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And again, I imagine Paul praying that out. And then Psalm 56 actually kind of goes back and forth between these acknowledgments of the the pain and the suffering that the servants of God, the people of God often experience, again, intermingled with prayers of trust and prayers of praise to God, right? And it's not an either or. It's not, well, either God is good or his people suffer, right? It's actually both in Psalm 56. God is good, and yet his people experience attack, right? Yet his servants suffer, And then, right near the end of the psalm, verse 12, it says this, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. I imagine Paul getting to that point in his prayers and just saying, I have to sing to God, right? I mean, that's what the scriptures say. I will render thank offerings to you. I have to do that. And he begins to sing out, right, praises and thanks to the Lord there in that prison. Right in my imagination, and again, this is my imagination, but I imagine Silas next to him, and maybe I feel a little bit more like Silas thinking, really? Like, you're going to sing? Like, Paul, come on, man. I mean, man, we're like beaten, you know? Like, really, this is not a time to sing. Like, this, things are really bad. I imagine Silas listening to him singing, you know, maybe at first shaking his head, and then suddenly he begins to join in and begins to sing with him. And I think about gathering here. Maybe sometimes you come into this worship space and you are heavy-hearted and you're thinking, how can I sing to the Lord, right? How can I sing when families are grieving the loss of their children today? How can I gather here to sing praises? And maybe it's, it, you just can't do it in your own strength, but you hear other people here singing, right? You hear our worship team leading us, and suddenly you find yourself singing praises to God in the midst of the suffering and the darkness of this world. And your soul is lifted up and your spirit is lifted up. And they're singing these praises to God, and I imagine them suddenly realizing, we're being listened to. Like, even as we are singing, as we're praising the other prisoners, they are singing, they are soaking it in, right? They're hearing praises to Almighty God. They actually are learning. And then they realize, wait a second, our ministry hasn't stopped. 
Right? Our call to proclaim the good news of salvation in the city of Philippi, it hasn't ended because we're in prison. It's continuing. Our ministry actually is now to those who most need to hear this message, to those who are literally imprisoned. Right? God has brought us to this dark place to continue our calling to proclaim the good news and to live as servants of the Most High God. And I imagine them realizing that and, and rejoicing all the more. This is the goodness of God that he is faithful to fulfill their calling even in a prison, that he wants even the lowest of the low, right? Even those whose society has forgotten, he wants them to hear the good, muse, good news of salvation. And so their worship is even more um, um, enhanced. And I imagine them continuing to worship, and at first they don't even realize there's an earthquake, right? They're just so into the music, right? They just think, oh, that's just us getting excited, right? That's just our chains rattling around because we're worshiping the Lord. And so they realize, there's an earthquake, Right, but it's not like a normal earthquake. I don't know much about earthquakes, but I don't think earthquakes usually, you know, um, specify doors and chains to be removed. Right, this is a God-given earthquake that actually opens the doors and removes the chains. Right, but yet the prisoners don't leave. Right, what prisoners, when having the doors open and the chains removed, would not go running out? And again, in my imagination, I imagine those prisoners experiencing that and thinking, we could leave? And we would be set free from this physical prison, or we can stay, and we can learn about how God has set us free from the prison of sin and death. And we can actually hear of a greater freedom, even than the freedom that's being offered to us right now. And they stay to continue to learn the good news of salvation. And this right, jailer appears. He assumes that everyone has run away. He assumes right, that um, uh, he's a dead man. Because again, those he was overseeing have, have um, been set free, but they're all there. And so what does he say? What must I do to be saved? Why would he ask that question? Why would that be the question he asked? Well, again, I wonder if perhaps he heard when these men were arrested and put into prison, perhaps he heard about the servant girl, right, who everyone knew could tell fortunes, and that she had said that these guys were servants of the Most High and that they came with the message of salvation. And seeing, right, this miracle of the prison doors being opened and the chains coming off, that Philippian jailer said, it's true what she said. These are servants of the Most High God. And they have the message of salvation. And so he asked them, tell me what I must do to be saved. And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And the Philippian jailer receives that good news, him and his whole family, right? There's suddenly a teaching time, right? They've had church, they've had opening worship, right, and singing, and now there's a sermon, right? And Paul and Silas hold forth and teach him and his household, and no doubt those prisoners, right? This is the good news. This is what it means to believe in Jesus, right? And we see right, that beautiful moment, the prisoner washes their wounds the, the, from the suffering of being beaten, but then he's washed, he and his whole family in the waters of baptism, right? He is set free from his sin. He has given new life in Christ. And he goes out rejoicing. As we consider this, as we consider God's work here, as we consider what it looks like to live in that authority of Jesus, right? I just have two questions for you. One is, what does that look like for you? What does it look like to say, I'm under authority and therefore I've been given authority? And maybe for some of you, that just feels a little grandiose. Maybe you just feel like, I don't know, like, I'm living in the authority of Jesus. Maybe it feels sort of like, you know, just sort of like too victorious for you. And yet we see that to live in the authority of Jesus actually does not spare us from suffering. It doesn't spare us from acknowledging there are other powers that will work against us. 
but it's actually holding on and proclaiming and living in the reality of Jesus' authority, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of darkness. So what does that look like for you? How does it affect the way you pray? To truly pray in the name of Jesus who reigns over all. What does it look like to, to stand firm in your faith? Even in the face of great suffering, in the face of great evil. What does it look like to share that faith with others? To say, I, I don't have any authority in and of myself, but I am in the authority of Jesus. Under whose authority I am. So again, just encourage you to think about that. And to not just sort of say, well, this is for these people at this time. But what does this mean for me? Right? And specifically, I encourage you, think about it in regards to places where you do have earthly authority, if we can use that term, right? Where you have influence, right? In your workplace, perhaps because of your financial means, right? There are places where you've been given influence, where you've been given power, and to live in that power underneath the power of Jesus. Again, it's good to have political influence and financial influence, right? That's a, that's a helpful thing often when we're given that and we act in that. But again, for that to be under the authority of Jesus doesn't just mean that we don't abuse that power, but means that perhaps we use it differently than the world would suggest we use it, right? For Paul and Silas not to go running out of that prison and to get out of town, but to stay was so unusual. But that's because they were servants of the Most High God. What does that look like for you? And then my second question would be, are there places where you feel like your calling has been limited because of your circumstances, maybe even because of your, just your own gifting, because of your personality, where you feel like, I think God's called me to this, and yet I look at my present circumstances, I look at even who I am, I look at my places of influence, and I just don't see any place for me to live out that calling. And maybe in that sense, you feel a little bit like Paul and Silas did in prison, where you feel like, I, I think God's called me to this. And yet it seems like I'm in prison. And maybe like Paul and Silas, your eyes need to be open to see, oh, there's something God has for me right here and right now. Now, they were set free from prison. So I'm not saying, man, if you feel like you're in some sort of prison, not to ask the Lord, set me free, right? They were set free the next day, praise God, right? And were able to go on and continue their ministry. And yet God had something for them in that prison. So I encourage you to be thinking through, Lord, what do you have for me right now? Even in the places where I'm facing against limitations, even where the places where I'm just thinking someday, the Lord may actually say, no, I've got something right now, a way I want you to be praying in this season, a way I want you to be proclaiming, a way I want you to be serving in this time right now. I just want to um, end uh, with a, um, a few lines from a, a prayer email that went out from one of our supported missionaries, Tony Georgiev who serves in Macedonia and faces great difficulties there. He's in an extremely poor area, and he's, he's seeking to share Jesus and start a, a church there. And he's an area that's predominantly um, Muslim, Turkish Muslim, and so receives resistance. And I just think this captures well what it means to live in the authority in the midst of resistance. He says this, and this happened to him recently. He was at a friend's home um, sharing and praying with him. And he says, the imam, so uh, a religious leader in that area, came to my friend's house with five other people and he started yelling at me. He asked me why we were sharing Christian materials among Muslims. Tony said, I told him I want people to hear about Jesus and the good news. He was very angry and he pushed me out of the house. He says, this happened because we were sharing the gospel. Then he quotes Luke 21, everyone will hate you, Jesus said, because of me. He says, brothers and sisters, I have already forgiven them even though I'm very upset. I just love how honest that is, right? He was attacked, right? He's saying, I'm upset, but I've already forgiven them. Please pray that God will give me peace. I love them. We will continue to be among the Muslims, and I hope one day I will have the opportunity to share the gospel to that imam. We are in a huge spiritual war, 
That is why I constantly ask you to pray for us. This is a very difficult area for the gospel. Again, such honesty, right? This is hard. This work is hard. It's upsetting. And yet God is at work. Let's pray that for each one of us. Lord, we do thank you that you call your people in different ways. We thank you, Lord, that each person here has a calling, has ways that you have gifted them, want to use them. And Lord, I pray that even now they would know and see the ways in which you are ministering your grace and your truth through them, each one. And Lord, I pray for any that feel a little bit like they're in a prison right now, who feel very limited by their life circumstances, Lord, that you would speak to them, you would help them to see, uh, to see with their eyes, Lord, those that you are ministering to even now in their circumstances. Lord, help us, we pray, in the midst of suffering and evil in this world, to live under your authority and to celebrate your kingship over all things. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.